0: Well again, I want to welcome you to Crossroads this morning If it's your first time, first time in a long time We are glad that you're here Thanks for uh, celebrating Easter with us We're we're honored that uh, you've chosen to do so Now, if the only reason you're here is because you're in town visiting some relatives And they said they wouldn't feed you unless you came to church with them today I apologize, All right, Uh, We all have a long way to go And that's just the truth, right? Well, hey, I got to tell you something that happened last week. It was late one night, and I was working in our backyard, cleaning up some things from from the day before, and and all of a sudden, I heard this high-pitched squealing noise coming from the back corner uh, of our yard, and... And so I turned on the flashlight app on my phone and I followed the sound. My six-month-old golden retriever rider was right beside me and and was coming to to find out what the noise was as well. It piqued his curiosity. And and so as I made my way behind our garage, I, I, I was walking through some bushes and all of a sudden our cat ran right in front of me with this baby bunny in her mouth. Yeah, it was horrible. Well, our dog immediately took off and chased her, and they started running around the yard. And all I wanted to do was to save this poor bunny because I love animals. And and so when I finally caught up with our cat, the bunny was nowhere to be found. Evidently, she had dropped it somewhere in the yard. And so for the next 30 minutes or so, I tried finding this rabbit, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I eventually just went to sleep, assuming that it was safe and sound. Well, that very next night, I was, in our, uh, I was playing basketball with our two oldest kids, and, and I looked over to my left, and, and I noticed that Ryder, our dog, was laying down in the yard doing something. He was preoccupied with a toy or something, and, and to tell you the truth, that's not like him. He's usually right by us whenever we're outside, and, and so I wondered what it was that he was doing. Well, as I made my way towards Ryder, I realized that the bunny had been found. But poor old Peter Cottontail wasn't going to be hopping down any bunny trails this year because that bunny was in pieces. I mean, it was a horrible sight. Well, as I walked towards Ryder, he saw me. He picked up the rabbit, and he ran off. He didn't want me to grab it. One of our kids had left the back door open, and so he ran inside our house with the rabbit still in his mouth, and he's running around, bunny hairs flying everywhere, all right? All right. And so I eventually corner him in a room, and and I have to pry open his jaws until the rabbit falls out. I take two sticks from the yard, pick it up, and I walk outside to our patio thinking that the worst was over. Well, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, my five- and three-year-old walk over, and they wanted to know what the commotion was all about. By that time, it was too late for me to prevent them from seeing anything. And next thing I know, their eyes are just looking down at this poor old rabbit. They don't know what to think, all right? I mean, it was a very traumatic moment. It was rather tense, and, and there was just kind of silence. All three of us were just staring at what our sweet little dog had done to this rabbit And so I tried breaking the tension with some humor, but what I said, come to find out, wasn't all that appropriate, all right? As we're looking at this rabbit, I, I said to my kids, I said, well, I sure hope he wasn't the bunny rabbit from Easter, Yeah, well, my daughter, Vera, she loves animals. She's been talking for the past two weeks about how excited she is to wake up on Easter morning with a basket full of candy. She started bawling and crying. and running. I mean, it was just a, a fit, and I mean, it was uh, causing a scene, and I tried calming her down. I needed her to be quiet. I wanted her to, to stop crying because the last thing I needed was for my wife, Savannah, to come out and really see what was happening, you know what I mean? But the thing I learned that night is that There's no crying that those little chocolate Cadbury eggs can't silence in my daughter. (laughs) How many of you, you love those things? Yeah, they're awesome, aren't they? I mean, sign me up for dad of the year, all right? Now, I love Easter. I I love this time of year. I love the change of seasons, the warm weather and the colors outside. And and whenever I say Easter, chances are something comes up in your mind. and, And all of us think different things about Easter. Others of us, it's, uh, for some of us, it, it's just another day on the calendar. There's not much more to it. It's another weekend. While others of us, it's a tradition. We set it aside. It's a very special holiday. And so regardless of what you believe about Easter, one thing I think we can all agree on today is that there's something about this Jesus guy, he's not going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, you can't deny his impact, regardless of who you really think that he was, if he was some crazy Jewish man or if he really was God. You can't deny his impact and his influence, right? Typically, when uh, someone of influence dies, their their popularity tends to diminish. uh, The longer they are dead, the further away they get from their funeral, their legacy kind of fades away into the books of history. But with Jesus, it's really been just the opposite. No, he had more of an impact 100 years after his death than while he lived here on earth. Around the year 1000, he inspired much of the foundation for what we know of today as Europe. And and so here we are today, about 2000 years after he supposedly crashed his funeral, and he has more followers all across the world in hard-to-reach areas than ever before. You can't deny his impact, Right? One historian uh, from Yale says it like this. I can't really pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. All right. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries, for 2,000 years. Now, this is especially impressive if you think about the fact that Jesus never owned a home. He was so poor, he sometimes wondered where his next meal was going to come from. He never married. He didn't have any kids. He never had a government behind him. He never ran for office. He was never in charge of some military. He lived a very humble life, yet he lived a very influential life. And, And here we are today. Now, let's be honest about something before we go any further. It's a stretch to believe that a dead man came back to life right? And if that's where you're at, I'm with you, okay? I I totally get it. And so you might be asking, what is Easter really all about? I mean, why is it important? Because the foundation of this holiday is pretty crazy, right? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story, I think, that captures the essence of Easter better than, than just about anything that we find in the Bible. And this story is found in one of Jesus' biographies called Luke. And and so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Luke. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a black one in the seat right in front of you. That's our gift. to You feel free to take it home when you leave here today, all right? This this story is found in Luke chapter 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 39 here in a minute. Now, as you're turning there, understand that that Luke, uh, during the first century, was a doctor, okay? He was a physician, and what he did was he interviewed a bunch of... Of eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. These men and women that, that he interviewed walked with Jesus. They knew him, and, and he was so convinced that their testimonies were real and true... ...that, that he came to this point in his life where he said, okay, G- Jesus really was God. He was who he said he was. He, he really did defeat death. And so pick up with me in verse, 20, uh, verse 39 of chapter 23. Jesus is about to die, and he's right in between these two criminals to his left and right, who were also hanging on crosses. One of the criminals who hung there hurled the insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah, they said? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you were under the same sentence?" Now, the other eyewitnesses of the cross say that both of these men for the previous few hours had made fun of Jesus earlier that day, but then something evidently changed for one of them. Now, we're not exactly told why, but he goes from insulting Jesus to making fun of him, all right, to then all of a sudden believing him and realizing that he was who he said he was to to also calling out the other thief who was insulting Christ. And so here's one of the first things I want us to see in this story today. It goes like this. Because sometimes our circumstances cause us to question everything. Sometimes our circumstances cause us to question everything. Do you know what I'm talking about here? <laughs> this describes those moments when we wonder if we really believe what we say we believe. Typically, this is how this pattern plays out for us. Life is going really well. Your family's healthy. Your career's taken off. Your friends are even jealous of your life. Your team won the national championship. I mean, life couldn't be any sweeter for you, Right? And then all of a sudden you get a phone call in the middle of the night saying that there's been an accident. Or you go into for a routine checkup only to be told that you have cancer. There's some sus- suspicious tumor growing inside you. You discover some text messages between your spouse and, and a close friend that totally catches you off guard. You, you discover that one of your kids has an addiction that, that you never knew was there. You see, these moments are the circumstances when we realize how they're just, there's something off not only about this world... But there's something broken inside of us. It's been that way the whole time for you and and for me as well. But there's something about when life is going our way, we're kind of blinded to it. You see, this criminal had to be hung on a cross naked in front of a crowd of people for him to realize he couldn't save himself. He, He questioned everything that he had been doing. Several years ago, I met with a guy who had been attending Crossroads for a few weeks. He was in his 30s, pretty successful in his career, and, and we sat down in my office and, and come to find out this guy had been raised Catholic and uh, lived a pretty good moral life, but he said to me, he said, Patrick, I, I just, I, I've never really had a relationship with Jesus before. I've never made a personal decision to follow him, but, but I've always been religious And so I asked him, I said, well, well, what brought you to this point? Why all of a sudden do you see your your kind of need for Jesus? And he hung his head. He kind of looked towards the ground. He said, well, I've been going through a divorce lately because my wife recently discovered that I've been having an affair on her for for the past year or so. And And I didn't say anything immediately to that. And he just kind of mumbled underneath his breath. He said, I just can't believe that I did this. He said, I'm just so disgusted with myself. And then he looked up at me and he said, Patrick, do you know what's worse more than anything? He said, I want forgiveness from God. He said, but I don't think that's possible. There's no way that God could forgive me for what I've done. I'm just not good enough. You see, his need for grace before his affair had been discovered and even before his wife filed was the exact same. He needed it the entire time. But it wasn't until he went through the divorce that he realized deep within him there's this inability to fix himself. And the thing about grace is that it's only for those of us who realize we, we don't deserve it, right? One time Johnny Cash was performing a concert in prison, which he often did. He was meeting with a, a group of inmates. One of the inmates had been convicted of murder, and he'd become a Christian really a Christian, while in prison. And, and Johnny Cash kind of narrowed in on him. And, and, and the guy said this. He goes, you know, Johnny, he said, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've, I've been a deacon. I've been a churchman. He said, but I never really understood grace until I got here. You been there before? Look at what the thief continues to say next to the other thief in our story. He said, we are punished justly for, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, he, he's done nothing wrong. This guy knew he was guilty. Only the worst criminals were hung on a cross. Perhaps he was a serial killer. Some scholars speculate that he tried to start a revolution, overthrowing the Roman government. Now, whatever crime this guy committed, he knew he was guilty. He didn't deserve to just just be let off the mat. No, he deserved death. And so the next thing I want us to see in this story goes like this. That someone has to pay for what we messed up. Someone has to pay for what we messed up. Now, usually this is much easier for us to see in other people or in other circumstances. It's, it's tougher for us to, to see this in ourselves. We all have this sense of justice within us in which we can determine right from wrong, right? Now, the other criminal in our story denied that, that he did anything wrong. In a way, he felt like a victim. He didn't care how much his actions had hurt other people. He only cared about himself. He only cared about him living another day and wanted Jesus, hey, get me off this cross. He was very self-centered while hanging there. And the reality is, I don't need to tell you that there's something broken inside you. I mean, you know that, Right? This is why you've maybe felt depressed before. You felt empty at different moments. This is why sometimes you feel the need to, to measure up to someone else or, or you got out of your way to get attention when you're with your friends. We've all had those fears. We've all walked through insecurities before. You see, there's not one person here or listening to my voice right now who is more of a sinner or less of a sinner than you. We're all equal, Right? One of the results of our brokenness is that we lack wholeness and and we fall short of how God really designed us to live. One guy says it like this, if there is a God who created you, then the deepest chambers of your soul simply cannot be filled up by anything less. You see, we try to fill ourselves up with stuff that we think is gonna satisfy, but in the end, it only makes us emptier. And so here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. Is it possible Is it possible that you're trying to dig yourself out of a debt in ways that won't accomplish what you think? Is it possible that you're trying to dig yourself out of a debt in ways that won't accomplish what you think? Sometimes we resist help because it's just much easier for us to ignore reality. Last week uh, I was coming home from running some errands, had our three kids with me, and right as I was about to turn onto our street I looked to my left and, and there was a stray cat just hanging out on the side of the road. Well, I saw this as an opportunity to make up for the bunny that had died on my watch in my backyard. So I made a U-turn. I pulled over to the side of the road, got out of the car, went and picked up this poor little cat. Now, when I picked the cat up, I looked down and realized that half of his tail was gone. I mean, it had been chopped off. It had been cut off somewhere along the way. Something happened to him. And and my kids, as I was carrying this cat back to the car, thought it was the funniest thing ever. And and so I was driving with it in my lap back to our house. And I said, kids, what do you want to name the cat? And and they said, well, let's name it Choppy because his tail was chopped off. (laughs) And so that's what we named him, Choppy. Now, you have to understand that my wife hates cats, all right? I'd have a zoo at our house if my wife would let us, and she thinks cats are kind of like the spawns of Satan, all right? And so I don't know what my expectations were for when I came home and how I expected her to respond, but I thought at the very least she would have at least called me a hero for saving this poor cat from getting hit by a car. Well, she did call me something, but it wasn't a hero, all right? She said, what in the world did you bring? That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Get that out of the house. And so I put Choppy in our backyard, and it hung around for about 10 minutes or so. And and then this poor cat attempted to run off. Now, I say attempted rather lightly because this cat was so fat, had such long hair, hairballs, that when it ran on the ground, sticks would get caught up in its belly. And so it just kind of like wobbled along. I mean, it was a sight to see, let me tell you, all right? And when I, when I was watching this take place, I realized why the, his owner had abandoned him. I mean, this cat was miserable. This cat was ugly. You didn't want this cat, all right? And as I thought about it, I wondered, I mean, what, what really happened to his tail? I mean, why, why did he end up in this place? I mean, did his tail get chopped off because of maybe something he did? I and mean, maybe he was stupid and it was a choice that he made and he's just the victim of his own choices, his own circumstances. Or or maybe his tail was cut in half because of something that someone did to him. Now, here's the thing. It didn't really matter because what mattered most was that that cat needed to be rescued so it wouldn't get hit by a car, right? And so I attempted to rescue the cat, but he didn't really want anything to do with our home. He ran off and maybe he didn't feel comfortable. Maybe he thought we were going to hurt him. But here's the thing. I tried to rescue it. I tried to help him. But the one thing I couldn't control, I couldn't control the way he wanted to be rescued. I couldn't make him want to be saved, right? And here's the thing. A lot of us, we walk in here and we've got some stuff in our past. We all do. We've all carried around wounds, maybe some from decisions that we've made, or maybe decisions that affected us that someone else made. And And so whatever those wounds are, whatever those pieces of of brokenness that have stained your past is, more than likely those are the very things that have caused people in your life to reject you, to toss you aside, to, to leave you out on the side of the road for dead, and you were told that you weren't wanted anymore because of that, because that happened to you. Look, here's the thing. It doesn't matter why you are where you are. All that matters is that you are there, and you feel hopeless, lost, and you wonder, what more is there for me? And so that's precisely where this thief was. The two men next to Jesus faced the most important decision of their life. One of them turned to Jesus for help. But then the other one, we know that he ran off because he didn't want to be rescued. He wanted nothing to, to do with Jesus. So take a look at what the thief says to Jesus next in our story, verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember when you, when you come into your kingdom. See, this guy was out of options, I mean, he had come to the end of himself. Now, notice the thief didn't say right here, you know what, Jesus, I've lived a mostly moral life. In the end, I think the good is gonna outweigh the bad for me. He didn't say that. And so that brings us to the third thing I want us to observe in this story. We aren't the answer because we are the problem. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear that one? (laughs) We aren't the answer because we are the problem. Now, let's be honest about something. We all wanna be the hero of our own stories, don't we? I mean, we're all a little bit prideful and selfish, if we're honest. I mean, raise your hand if you're humble. Yeah, you, a few of you out there, yeah, you, take, you take pride in your humility, don't you? I love it when I'm humble and people notice. You know what I mean? <laughs> Now, if you don't think that you struggle with pride or selfishness, let me just throw this scenario out there for you just for just a second. When someone takes a picture of you with some of your friends or family members, and they text it to you or they post it on Instagram or Facebook, who's the first person you notice when you see that picture for the first time? Yourself, right? Oh, I don't look good there. Okay, can, re- can we retake that picture? Right? We... we And naturally elevate ourselves above others. And so what in the world does this have to do with with fixing what's broken inside us? Well, I don't know about you, but whenever I come face to face with stuff in my life that I know is messed up, broken, maybe sin, my first reaction is to hide, deny, or suppress it. I, I tend to hide my sin and brokenness by distracting the attention and saying, well, you know, so-and-so struggles with that same thing, or I will degrade his or her character so that I can feel better about what it is that I'm struggling with. Or I'll deny it by maybe saying, you know what, I, if you are in my situation, you, you, you'd understand. You, you'd totally get it. I mean, it, it's justifiable, Right? you know the word that describes the way that we respond to our sin, the stuff in our life that's broken or or maybe isn't sin but just stuff we're not proud of? Shame. You see, shame shame is our response to stuff that that we want to overlook, that we want to deny, hide, and suppress, right? And so the root, the source of your shame is the answer to this question or the the answer to to this sentence for you. I want you to personalize this for just a minute. The one thing I don't want other people to know about me is fill in the blank. And so what is that for you? The one thing I don't want you to know about me is that I struggle with depression sometimes. Now why don't I want you to know that? Well, because I want you to have an inflated view of me. I want you to respect me. I want you to hold me high on a pedestal. And by admitting to depression, I'm basically telling you that that I'm weak, that I'm not as strong as you think I am. And yet what I am learning is that the more we hide this stuff in our life, the more power we end up giving it. And so this thief who called out to Jesus lived a life defined by shame, The way he died merely represented his entire life before being hung on a cross. Now, what's interesting is that this thief probably grew up Jewish. He was a very religious person. He knew right from wrong. He was raised in church. But for whatever reason, he came to this point in his life where he bought the lie that he was nothing more than the mistakes that he had made in his past. You see, his shame told him that that he was nothing more than a boy who who couldn't live up to his parents' standards. His shame said that if he ever got caught, that his dad would be really disappointed. He would get grounded. You see, my story goes like this. When I listen to those whispers for long enough, do you know what ends up happening? I start to believe him. And how we live is based upon who we think we are. Now, this thief believed that that he was nothing more than, than someone who wasn't good enough, and so what eventually ended up happening was he lived like it, and he blew up the most important parts of his life. Doesn't that describe some of our stories? You see, when we don't deal with our brokenness, it eventually controls us, and the people around us end up getting the most hurt. Back when uh, my wife and I were in college, every day on the way to school, we would listen to the same radio station, and the highlight of this morning show was when the host would, would play anonymous confessions from the night before. You could call into this radio station and just let something off your chest, maybe something that you haven't told anybody before, and uh, they would play it in the middle of the radio show. And, and it was, some of them were funny, some of them were just odd and bizarre, like one guy called in and, and said, well, last weekend my in-law stayed with me, and I just got to confess that, that I may have slipped them some lack because I just couldn't take them any longer. (laughs) One lady confessed to uh, the fact that whenever she and her husband would would get into a fight, she would then take his toothbrush and dip it in the toilet before bed. (laughs) Yeah, I was newly married at the time, turned off the radio right at that point, didn't want my wife to get any ideas, you know. There was some weird stuff, but but there were also some more serious things. And, And you could always tell before it was confessed what what was about to happen? That, that something significant w- was about to play out. And the person would, you could sense some nervousness in their voice and they kind of wondering if they should even say it. They, they would say things like, you know, I, I've never told anybody this before. Nobody knows this about me. But back in college, back in college, I paid for an abortion. Or nobody knows this, but several years ago, with the previous company I worked for, I stole a bunch of money from them, and, and nobody ever found out. I just, I just have to, just have to tell somebody. You see, when we hide, deny, suppress what it is that we're not proud of, eventually it's going to control us. It's going to weigh us down, and and it's going to blow up the most important parts of our life. You see, there's a letter in in Scripture where where an author by the name of Paul, he he describes this condition in which we're in as as saying that we're like slaves to death. Now, that sounds rather depressing, right? But here's the thing. We can't be rescued unless we first realize that we're in danger. And so let's finish up our story. With nothing left to lose, That this criminal boldly asked Jesus for something that he totally didn't deserve. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus' response here couldn't have possibly been more surprising, yet more offensive. I mean, it didn't make sense. It didn't add up. And and so for this criminal hanging on the cross, his worst day that he had set out on his calendar, all of a sudden, in an instant, became his best day. So the last thing I want you to notice from this story goes like this, that only Jesus can pay what we can't afford. Only Jesus can pay what we can't afford Now, Jesus didn't respond to this guy by by saying, you know what, today you'll be with me in paradise if you promise me that that you'll quit screwing up. Don't mess up anymore. Then you can come. He didn't say that, right? No, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's nothing you can do to earn it. I'll give you the second chance. No strings attached. I got to ask you, (laughs) have you ever uh, seen a tattoo on somebody that made you think, did he really think that was a good idea? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I'm from Kentucky, all right, and so uh, I'm used to seeing these tattoos all over people, okay, it's just kind of part of our culture from where I'm from, and uh, I'll never forget when when I was younger, I was at the pool one day, and and I saw one of those tattoos, and I thought to myself, how drunk was grandma when she got that one, all right, (laughs) Now, I've been told that sometimes uh, when we do put tattoos on our bodies that we don't necessarily like, maybe the name of an ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, or spouse, or something like that, that you can get those tattoos removed. It's just pretty pricey, and it hurts a whole lot, right? And it takes a long time. And you see, in a similar way, our past, it's possible. It's possible for it to be wiped clean, whatever, whatever it is, however embarrassed you are by it. It's possible for it to be removed from your life. But I will say this. It is costly. It does, it does hurt. Because the one thing it requires is admitting that we have a need we can't meet ourselves, humbling ourselves, swallowing our pride and, and saying, Jesus, you, you alone can pay for this debt that I have. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you, when you think about Christ, but, but I'm willing to bet that the idea of grace is so foreign for a lot of us that it just seems too good to be true. We've trained ourselves to believe that, that we're only as good as, as what we do. I mean, our culture around us tells us that, that our value is determined by our report card, how many certifications we have, how many degrees are hanging on our wall, or, or the depth of our client base, or our relationship status, right? That's where our value and worth is as a person. And yet this is probably why we struggle with. The story, it's not fair. I mean, did Jesus not consider the fact that, that this guy had, had screwed up a lot of lives? He had sabotaged a lot of people before granting him paradise? I mean, where's justice here, Jesus? And yet the reality is that there's nothing fair about grace. Grace says that you can't do anything to make God love you anymore or any less. One time Jesus was hanging out with his friends and, and they were bragging about who was more popular, who was better looking, who had more followers on Twitter and Jesus just got so disgusted by it that, that he calls them out and then he reminds them why he came to this earth. I want you to pick up on what he said. He said, for even the son of man, that's a reference to himself, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want you to notice that word ransom, because in the Greek, it it literally means to to release a prisoner, to release a slave into freedom. Back then, if you were wealthy, you would head into a certain district of the city. You would purchase slaves. Back then, it was a wise investment that you might make. Now, one thing you would never do is go to the district of the city, purchase a slave, and bring him or her back home with you, and, and then let that slave go free. You, you wouldn't do that. That was a poor use of resources. And yet, that's what Jesus has done for us. It's like we've been kidnapped by our sin. We've been totally ripped off in life. We've been held hostage by the voices that we hear saying that, that you're never going to be good enough. Let me ask you, you? You know what that feels like? You ever feel that way? But Jesus did what needed to be done so that we could walk away totally free from trying to live up to some standard that we can never meet. You see, Jesus has also freed us from what we think about ourselves. One professor explains grace to his students by saying that whenever we blow it, whenever we sin, it's like there's this string between God and us that gets severed. It gets gets cut in half, Now, whenever we sin, God then bends down and he ties that string back together again and, and in essence, draws us closer to him with each knot that's made. And so every time we sin, every time we blow it, God again ties another knot in that string, ties another knot, ties another knot. And you see, as that happens, we get closer and closer and closer to him. Now, our first reaction is to think, well, there's no way that 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 actually happens because every time we blow it, God's more disappointed in us. and, And he thinks, how could you, you know? And yet a guy by the name of Paul, he says it like this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So let me just ask you something. Would anything change for you if you really believe that that God's grace is bigger than your ability to sin? Would anything change for you if you really believe that, that God's grace is bigger than your ability to sin? Now moments after Jesus promised this criminal, eternal life, paradise with him. He died. He breathed his last. His friends then took his body, put him in a borrowed tomb, and and Jesus was there for less than about 36 hours. And on Sunday morning, Jesus came back to life proving that he really was who he said he was. Jesus appeared to some of his closest friends and followers. And and over the course of several days, the Bible tells us that that Jesus appeared to over 500 people proving to them that, that he really is God. He has the power to forgive sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm with that guy who, who can crush this funeral, whoever he is, right? You would think that some of Jesus' friends, whenever he appeared to them after rising from the dead, that, the, that they would have immediately embraced him. They would have immediately believed. That They wouldn't have struggled with questions or, or doubts. But, but that's not at all what we see happening in one of Jesus' biographies. One of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of Thomas, which is actually where we get the phrase doubting Thomas from, just can't believe that it's true. He just, he can't accept it. And so check out how this scene unfolds. Jesus then said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting, Thomas, stop doubting. Stop doubting and and believe. I know that's where some of us are today. What we're going to do right now is we're, we're going to enter into a time of communion. We do this every week as a church here at Crossroads. And, and this is really a moment that we set aside in our service where we're reminded that Jesus paid this debt that we can never pay ourselves. In just a moment, some trays are going to be passed. And on those trays, you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. The bottom cup contains a, a little piece of bread. The top cup contains the juice. That bread, it represents Jesus' body that hung there and told the thief that day, today, today you, I got you. You're with me. That juice represents the blood that shed during his crucifixion. And the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It, it costs God a lot to be able to forgive you. And so we're gonna remember that by taking communion. And, and let me just make this really personal for you because I know sometimes we struggle with this a little bit. But communion is that moment where we we have the freedom to, to look at some of the darkest, most broken parts of our life. And with full assurance, we can say, God still accepts me. So some of us in here right now, we're, we're thinking to ourselves, yeah, but, but Patrick, you, you don't know what I've done. I, I've cheated on my husband, but, but God says, I sent Jesus to die for you. Or, you know, my mom and dad years ago told me that, that I wasn't wanted, that I was a disappointment, that, that, that I was a mistake, I was a reject. And, and yet God says, well, but you have to understand that you were so worth it that I sent my son to die in your place. Some of us in here have lashed out in anger, and you just you don't know how to deal with the this inner frustration that you have, and you find yourself doing things that have surprised you, and Jesus says, look, I died for that. I can take care of you. I can free you. You, you are worth it. And so in the next few moments, it's going to be a little bit silent in here. And for some of us, we, we need to come to this place where... We wonder, is this really true? What, what am I going to do with this? Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, that changes everything for us now. I know a lot has been said for the past 30 minutes in here. And so what I want you to do, if, if you aren't there yet with Jesus, if you don't yet believe you're not a Christian yet, I just want you to think about everything that, that we've talked about this morning and, and process it. Again, a lot has been thrown out there. Think it through. I mean, how would your life change if you really believe that, that God's grace... His ability to forgive you is far greater than your ability to sin and to mess that up. And so if you're serving communion, go ahead and come down front now. You can begin passing those trays. And together this morning on Easter, let's remember, let's remember that Jesus gave us what we needed most. He paid the debt that we can never pay ourselves. And if you aren't there yet, what would it look like for you to take that first step and say, okay, this makes sense. I'm going to head there. Let's take communion together.